How are we doing, Jets fans? I'm Glenn Norton with Jet Nation Radio and JetNation.com. Be sure to log in to JetNation.com where you can register and become a part of what is the most active Jets message board on the web. Joined today, as always, by Dylan Terriman to go over. Well, t- of course, we're going to touch on Zach Wilson and his benching uh, QB3 at this point, And really, his time with the Jets is, is all but over, barring even more injuries, which I guess we can't rule out at this point. And uh, we're going to talk about what to expect from Tim Boyle. And we're going to go over, because it's been a hot topic now. We, we had Michael Carter get cut last week, and now Zach Wilson is benched. So there's been a lot of talk about Joe Douglas and his draft classes and how good or how bad Douglas is at finding, identifying, and, and picking up talent in the NFL draft. And there's a lot of different opinions on this. So we're going to go over that today. But first of all, Dylan, what's I spoke about the Wilson benching the other day. What are your thoughts on it? Is it too late? Um, should they have done it sooner? And and where do they go from here? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily too late. Um, I think in a perfect world, you probably would have benched him after the Chargers game, going into the Raiders game. And I think I said that on this podcast two weeks ago. But um, no, I don't think it's necessarily too late. You're not mathematically eliminated. I know Aaron Rodgers mentioned four and six teams going on a run. In previous years' history, he was on one of those. I believe the Jets were one of those. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that the Jets can keep their playoff hopes alive. You would have liked to see it a couple weeks earlier. But then again, we don't know what we're going to see from Tim Boyle. And the limited snaps that we did see, he graded out analytically worse than Zach Wilson. But I think watching the film over, he did some things better than Zach Wilson. So in terms of where we go from here, um, you can't you can't let this team control your emotions from Monday through Saturday. It's bad enough that they control your Sundays as far as emotions go. But with Tim Boyle behind the, the center, we just got to ride it out. No expectations. We're not don't plan on winning any games soon. But if we do win games along the way, just just be grateful for those. <laughs> yeah, I would. I, I guess we would disagree here. I, I think they have waited too long. I think. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was ESPN said the other day, if the Jets lost to the Bills and Dolphins, their playoff chances, they had a 0.6% chance of making the postseason. Um, and I think they're losing to the Dolphins. Um, mm. Even with Robert Sala telling us that Dalvin Cook is ready to go now. He's had his 11-week ramp up, and he's ready to play football. And uh, and with uh, with Boyle, listen, I, I hope Boyle plays well. I'd, I'd like to see this team play well and and do something entertaining. But it's it, we're almost <clears throat> in that realm where... Uh, they're really one loss away from every win after that just being detrimental. But you want to see them play well. You want to see some of these kids get some opportunities. That's my hope as Boyle comes in. And I'll tell you what, you know, you know, it's going to be, I don't know if funny is the right word, but if they, if Boyle starts to play and then they start including a guy like a and he starts making plays and, you know, takes Dalvin Cook's spot and you're like, well, Jesus, like, why wasn't this guy in there from week one? Like, that's my whole thing is why are you signing Dalvin Cook at all? My, mm-hmm. You know, in my, in my mind, it should have been uh, it should have been Brees Hall and Abanacan all year. But listen, with the, with all the injuries on this O line, I don't know that it'll make that much of a difference. Um, just having a guy who can make a play when the opportunity presents itself, which I don't think they've had with Dalvin Cook. But um, but with Boyle, look, he's a guy, and I, I have to correct myself. Um, I I made a comment the other day about Tim Boyle's uh, touchdown interception numbers from college till today that he'd thrown like four touchdowns this decade um, between college and the pros Um, got his numbers off PFR. Um, You know, they, they, they're so, they're like my go-to for stats. 
Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, they and I've checked it a few times to double and triple check myself. Um, for whatever reason, they didn't include his time at Eastern Kentucky on there. They only have his yeah. Connecticut numbers on there. So when I looked at the Eastern and and listen, not that like okay, well he's thrown sixteen touchdowns this decade, still not still doesn't do a whole lot, but it's a hell of a lot better than four. Um, you know, compl- and completed sixty percent of his passes again, small college, but um, he's done a little bit more than I said he did. I did a whole a video and I I started out by saying. This guy's throwing four touchdowns this decade, but turns out it's 15 or 16 or something like that. That being said, um, I, I agree with you. There were some things he did where he looked better than Zach Wilson. The ball came out quicker, um, more decisive, which, that you know, those are the types of – that's how you can offset a struggling offensive line if you can complete some passes and, and make them back off with sending extra rushers because they know they don't have to worry about a completion. Um, but at the same time, he had one pick. He had another one dropped. So you're talking about a guy who played a quarter and a half, and he – almost through more interceptions Zach Wilson has in a month. So what's that going to look like over a full game? We'll see. But also you have to give Boyle the benefit of the doubt that you're down by a million. So Buffalo knows you're throwing. So, you know, they, they can, they can play, you know, cheat that way. So I'm not, you know, I'm not ripping the guy. I'm just saying it's, it's a very small sample size. That's what it boils down to. But if he can just be a more decisive veteran, get the ball out quicker and give guys a chance to make plays, then, you know, maybe, maybe they do something interesting and, uh, and win some football games. But a big part of what's going on right now, obviously, is how much they're playing the draft picks or not playing the draft picks. Mm-hmm. That's been a, a hot topic. Um, so we decided tonight we're going to go through and we're going to discuss every Joe Douglas draft pick from the day he arrived. Um, good, bad, ugly, you know, undecided, incomplete, whatever, I'm grading them. I'm just kind of thinking hit, miss, or incomplete. I'm not doing A plus and B minus, and I'm not getting into all that. No um, but some some numbers, Dylan. Like I I always have in my head, you know, when I when I was still in the U.S. and I had Sirius XM, I'd listen to the NFL channel all the time. And I think it was uh, I think Pat Kerwin mentioned a few times that um, I forget which GM, a prominent GM whose name escapes me at the moment, um, always said even the best GMs hit on just under fifty percent of their picks. Like the best guys are gonna get you know five out of eleven. You know, it's it's not a, you know, so, and I've talked about this in the past. Some of the, some of the standards that I hear fans have are so out of whack with reality. Like I've seen people, you got to get four starters every class or you're not doing your job. That ain't, that's just not realistic. If you can get one or two starters and then one or two special teamers, you're doing okay. Like one of, one of one group and two of another you're getting three guys who can contribute in draft class. Again, generally talking seven picks. You're doing okay. Um, these people who have in their heads that like, and I've seen people do it. I say, oh, oh, big deal. So he had a class where he got these four guys, but he had this class where only got three. Yeah, that's that three is okay. That's yeah. about and that's right. seven total people now that you just yeah. you just mentioned out of twenty two starters. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot so of people that, play too much Madden and think, oh, I found I, this, a starter in the third Madden, round, fourth round. Like it's easy like, for hey, them man, to do I'm it. In, I'm in year eleven of my franchise. I haven't missed on a pick yet. I should be a yeah. GM. Yeah, you know, um, people they're out of their minds with draft. So that that's the number that I always have in my head. That like just under fifty percent is like. You know, and, and those are the best. You yeah. know, it's almost like baseball. Like you're hitting 300, you're going to the Hall of Fame. General right. manager, you're hitting 35, 40 percent of your picks. You're doing well. Mm-hmm. So, I just, I just did a quick Google. Like, you know, GM best success rates or average success rates, and I actually found a really cool article. This is on um, 
dailynorseman.com and they pulled it from somewhere else but they broke down the the uh the info here really nice um let's see and it's it's a few years old but it's not so old that it would be you know that it wouldn't still be accurate i think it's about 3 years old but he, here's here's what they compiled they compiled every draft pick over a 20 year span from 1996 to 2016 so a 20-year span, basing it off the, who I mentioned earlier, PFR, using their their metrics of like AV, average value, you know, replacement. Like so, like stuff that pretty people pretty much agree on in terms of, you know, it, it's a mainstream site with mainstream data that isn't all that. It's not like if you're using PFF grades, people would just laugh at you and be like, whatever. But this is a this is a different ball ball game. So here's what they came away with: 20-year sample size. So that's not like a that's a pretty sizable chunk. 16.7% of players did not play for the team that drafted them. That surprised me. That was higher than I thought. I wow, thought that would yeah. have been around 10% because GMs love keeping their guys and at least yes. getting a look before they part ways. So 16.7% did not play for the team that drafted them. 37% were considered useless. They either didn't play or didn't make the team. So right off the bat, we're at 53% are useless or worse. I mean, that that was even more than I expected. That's pretty crazy. And I'm the one saying the numbers are higher than people realize. That's even higher than I expected. So you're starting at 53% of guys are useless who get drafted. 15% were considered poor. They had limited playing time and didn't do well when they did play. Now you're well over 60%. 30, 40, 50. Yeah, you're at nearly 70% are poor or worse. Again, 20-year sample size. 10.5% were considered average. These are mediocre players that had starts or significant contributions over two to three years. Like, that's it. Yeah. Over two to three years, you're considered average. Because remember, the average career is about three years, right? 12.3% mm -hmm. were considered good. These could be mediocre or average players that were multiple-year starters. For example, Pat Elfleen or Christian Ponder. Perhaps some genuinely good players that didn't last all that long for the team that drafted them. That makes me think a guy like James Farrier, who the Jets drafted, didn't get a second contract, and he went on to be a stud for Pittsburgh. Um, Sidney Rice, for example. Uh, let's see. This is where the metric can overrate a player on the number of starts rather than their performance on the field. Okay. 6.9% were considered great. This category is a list that includes undeniably good draft picks. In order to be considered great, they would have had to play for the team that drafted them into a second contract. And that doesn't even mean great, really. That's being no. generous. Yeah. Jordan Jenkins got a second contract with the Jets. Granted, it was one year, but it was still a second contract. Um, and, and again, this has also performed well over those years, which again, mm -hmm. perform well isn't necessarily great. And then 1% were considered legendary. Future Hall of Famers, multi-year All-Pros, among the best in the league for their relatively long careers. So that's it. You've got basically 22, 20, 29% are average or better. Mm -hmm. Everyone else is poor to useless. That's a big, that's a, I don't think people realize how yeah. many players do nothing 
or do so little that they're gone in a hurry. Um, let's see. Uh, Magic says, hopefully, I'm just going to check comments real quick. Um, mm-hmm. Magic says he hopes we'll look at the UDFAs. I'm assuming he means UDFAs. Um, if you mean all free agents, that won't be today. We might do that another time, but we will go over the rookie UDFAs that he signed after each draft. Uh, we never have coaches in place. Don't get us going on that, John Kluber. You're right. The coaching, they just hire these coaches that never get the job done. Um, and Joe Campione says he actually read a similar article today. So with Joe, what we're going to do, we're going to start with this year's class because that's the hardest class to grade. They've hardly seen the field. So we're not, and they, like I said, we're not grading them. I, well, I think the best thing to do, Dylan, is just go over the couple of guys who have seen the field and shown something. Yeah. Um, you can go ahead and kick it off with this year's class, and then we'll go from there, Dylan. Yeah, I have the uh, the whole list up for those watching on YouTube. Um, starting with 2023, we'll just read off all the names in chronological order. Will McDonald, first round, 15th overall. Joe Tittman, the center, second round, 43rd overall. Warren Carter, offensive tackle, or Carter Warren, excuse me, offensive tackle, Pittsburgh, fourth round, 120th overall. Israel Banacanda, Pittsburgh, running back, fifth round, 143rd overall. Zaire Barnes, linebacker, sixth round, 184th. Uh, Jarek Bernard Converse, LSU, sixth round, 204th overall. And then Zach Kuntz, tight end, seventh round, 220th overall. Um, I mean, you just look at it, you have to say incomplete, obviously, as a whole. But you can look at each individual player and you see bright spots. You see the positives in every person that has stepped on the field. Obviously, Abanacanda only played 10 snaps. So it's kind of hard to say he like showed flashes, but he had the burst that has been missing from the running back room. He he um, had one carry and you could see in that one carry yeah. that explosion up the middle. Like, yeah. And it was in, it was right behind uh, Joe Tittman. He was able to get to the second level on his block and he carried up to the linebacker and he made a big hole right up the middle for a band So you like to see that from them, but just starting at the top, Will McDonald, I mean, if you're not following Baldy and his breakdowns at this point, he's been highlighting Will McDonald for at least two or three weeks now, and he's been coming along. We've said it on the pod. He is about to break out. He just needs a couple more reps, and his pass rushes, they've looked really good. His bend is elite. It's kind of like what we've been told Carl Lawson is supposed to bring to us, and then Carl Lawson ended up being like mostly a speed-to-power type of edge rusher. But Will McDonald, his bend is just so – like. It's 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 elite. I don't know how else to say it. He's and, not and an elite burst, player. Explosion. Yes. He's so quick off the line. He's and that's an what's going to make him special. That yep. combo with the spin move. Yep. He's going to be a guy who can beat you to the outside. And if you cheat too much to that side, he's just going to spin in and beat. I said it a couple weeks ago. And some people were genuinely curious. And other people were being like hostile toward me. I said it was two or, it was after the Giants game. After I watched the Giants film, I think he only played eight or 12 snaps. Something, I think mm-hmm. it was eight against the Giants. But you could see some of the things he did, even against the run. They, they, the Giants ran a play deep in their own territory, and Will McDonald was able to move his blocker and get in on the tackle, which showed a little more strength than I anticipated from him. And then you saw him working against the pass, and I was like, this guy's there. Like, as soon as he gets reps, he's <clears> going to break out. And I tweeted it, and a lot there was quite a bit of, like, what the hell are you talking about? This guy hasn't done anything. But, but then a couple of people were genuine, like, what are you seeing? Like, what, what do you see that I don't? Because I yeah. don't think he is. And so people were pretty hostile about it a few weeks ago. And now I think people are easing up because people like Baldy are saying it now. And like this guy, again, the sample size is terrible because you want to see him getting more reps. But you're seeing that. And I said the other day, 
as much as I was a JSN guy, and I said this pick made no sense to me in terms of wanting a guy who's going to play this year to help Aaron Rodgers, over time, this is going to be a great pick. Yeah. Like, it, no one's going to give a damn in three or four years that they went with him over Jackson Smith and Jigba because he has the tools to be, as you said, elite. Like, that's the word to describe his traits. So yes, he's got yeah. the ability to be an elite, you know, Pro Bowl-type player moving forward. And, again, the small sample size sucks, but you can see it. I was just going to say, I think it's important to distinguish with Will McDonald that he has elite traits that he's already flashing while also saying he's not an elite player. And he right. could get there, obviously. And I see Beloved saying if he puts it all together, he could be a Von Miller type edge rusher. I mean, yeah, he very well could be. He could have a higher ceiling, like he said, than Jermaine Johnson as in terms of a pass rusher. Um, I, I was at the Chargers game. He had his best game on eight eight snaps, <clears throat> two pressures, half a sack, and the forced fumble. He was able to yep. get home on Justin Herbert and force the ball out. That is so – that's just missing. That's the missing piece of our defensive line is getting to the quarterback and getting the ball out. So 100%, he has elite traits, and uh, I'm excited. Only 86 snaps this entire season. It's about 12% of the team's total defensive snaps, and I think that that needs to be way higher after this yeah. podcast. And Starting the this week. he says here in the chat, they think Will McDonald will have a higher has a higher ceiling than Jermaine Johnson. I agree. I think mm -hmm. he's got the highest ceiling of all the edge rushers in the, on the group. Uh, our buddy Greg Randolph says it's true. If the pick is success, successful, no one's going to question it, and that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, but like I said, for me, and I'm, I tried to make it clear early on, I didn't think the pick made sense, but that doesn't mean I didn't like the player because I thought the whole right. emphasis this year was going to be build around Aaron and get you know get weapons. Um, yeah, get, so get, get now ready, guys, for for the offense was my thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. So then, okay. So next up we got Joe Tipman, right? Yep. Joe Tipman, second guy on the list. I mean, he has been a, a incredible. I don't know how else to say it. I know it sounds like silly because he's a center and it gets overlooked, but he has done incredible things from a film perspective. He's not allowing any pressures. I think he has like one sack allowed per PFF. I'm trying to pull it up right now on the fly. It's he has been better than I expected. And I, he wasn't the center I wanted. John Michael Schmitz was the guy, not to say Tipman was not on my list. He was number two. I made a video saying these are some centers I would get if John Michael Schmitz is gone by the second round pick that we have. Uh, yeah, pulled it up right here. One sack allowed, nine pressures allowed. And that was mostly at right guard. He has five at right guard and then four at center and only one penalty. I think that is the huge part too. He's not very penalized. It's one holding call against the Raiders. It did come in a bad spot though. I do believe if, if I'm remembering the scenario, uh, backed him up out of a, a prime red zone opportunity. So only one penalty, one sack. You can't ask for anything more from this rookie. Uh, I was kind of worried about his injuries, his labrum surgeries on both shoulders coming into this, uh, his rookie year, but we said it. He was going to overtake Connor McGovern at some point, kind of like what we thought about Rucker and Uzama. At yep. some point, he was going to overtake. Obviously, McGovern got hurt pretty badly, and it's unfortunate, but that happens. And now Joe Tittman is clearly one of our best five, even when every single person is healthy in the offensive line room. So couldn't be more, more happy to see Joe Tittman holding it down in the center position. Yeah, and Joe Campione asks in the chat, uh, the next guy up, how did Carter Warren look against the Bills? Mm -hmm. For me personally, I thought he looked good. He would no, he wasn't perfect. It was his you gotta you look at it this way. It's his first NFL action. He's playing against a talented, aggressive front. He's playing in a game where, as I mentioned earlier with Tim Boyle, they know you're throwing the ball, so they're gonna be getting after it. 
Um, Warren did have one rep where he got embarrassed at Oliver, tossed him with yeah. one arm onto the ground and got the sack. But, you know, the D lineman was crashing down and Warren's trying to get inside to block him. And then Oliver loops outside. He tries to pop out to get him. He gets out there late and Oliver just floors him. Terrible rep. But all in all, like there were a few reps where like his PFF grade was atrocious. You would have thought he gave up five. Yeah, it really was. If you look yeah. at his PFF grade. There were some plays where he got walked back a little bit, but he dropped his anchor and held his ground and, you know, prevented a pressure or a hit. So I thought for his first pro game, I I was, you know, he did about as well as you could have hoped, um, despite what PFF says. And I think he's, again, he's a guy, and I went back and rewatched it. I can never remember. I should stop saying it because I can't remember who quoted it. Um, but I and I, when I say it, I, I always say I think it was Duke Manyweather who said that um, he thought Carter Warren was a top 50 type talent. Um, if you go back and watch the NFL draft, you know, if you click on their NFL draft profile on NFL.com, it'll show you the minute and a half clip from when they're picked in the immediate commentary. Um, and Daniel Jeremiah says when he's picked, you know, he had the injuries. If not, he probably gets picked yesterday, meaning round two or three, which is in line with, you know, with the, the top 50 talk. And I, I don't disagree. He played at a high level at Pitt, great length. His arms are a million miles long. Um, yep. He played left tackle. He played right tackle. Needs work in the run game. But to me, listen, he gave up a sack and five pressures against the Bills. Um, when Turner played, he gave up, what, nine pressures and three sacks? He's clearly a better player already than Turner is. So so as far as I'm concerned, um, nice debut for him. And let's let's see more of him moving forward. I think I don't see how you play Becton this quickly. I know they said he was out of practice today, but I think it was Semini at Somebody said that he was limping very noticeably. Um, oh, so my <clears> hope <throat> is that if he can't go, I mean, it's not even a matter of hope. He, he If Becton can't go, it'll be Warren. Um, but what's going to happen with Dwayne Brown? Like they, I was, gonna, they I was act- just about to say. They got to activate him or cut him? I was going to say, don't don't necessarily say that it will be Carter Warren because if it isn't Makai Becton at left tackle, do we see <clears throat> Dwayne Brown at left tackle and either Carter Warren or Max Mitchell at right tackle? That'll be the interesting one. Um, yeah, when you look at the PFF stuff with Carter Warren, it was pretty, pretty bad. But then you look at each individual play and he didn't have as many like negative, negative plays. He allowed five pressures. I understand that. And they probably could have adjusted more of the game plan when Becton went out because it was still early. Becton only played eight snaps last week. He could have, you know, the the offense could have adjusted and, and put a guy on that side. I know they were using a lot more motion and trying to keep the attached tight end, you know, on his side a little bit, but I feel like you could have done that a lot more to help him out, but he did hold his own absolutely over his 49 snaps. Um, I thought for him, it'd be a redshirt year because of the meniscus injury that held him out of nine games in his last year at Pitt. Um, Obviously I think he's talented. I thought he was a better pass pro than run blocker. Um, But moving forward, I think if you have to play him, he proved that he could definitely be more viable than Billy Turner. And honestly, at the hit rate that Max Mitchell's going, he looked really good against Max Crosby, but then looked really bad this past yeah, week. So it's really like highs and lows with Max Mitchell. So Carter Warren could end up being, you know, your second or third best offensive tackle at the end of the day. I still think I'd give him an incomplete because it's only 49 snaps in one game. But if he gets the start this week, I think that would be that would be a good thing for him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And after that, of course, Izzy Abanacanda who had the one carry for 11. It, look, you can't grade him because he hasn't really played. And again, or you can't, it's it's hard to say, but there's every reason to believe he'll be at least a quality player. Could mm-hmm. anywhere from a quality player to a game breaker. Um, and listen, I know coaches 
talk up players and, and everyone compliments everyone they're about to play. But um, when he was at Pitt, if you go back and look, when they were getting ready to play North Carolina, um, Mac Brown said he thought Pitt had the best running back in the country um, in his Ebana Kanda. He, um, and again, even if that's a little bit of lip service, that's just, you don't say that about a guy who you don't think is a really good player. Right. And Mac, Brown's, Mac Brown has been around for a little while. So Abana Kanda, I, it's those top four to me who have a chance to be regular contributors, and I'd be surprised if they're not. Um, yeah. So obviously you can't grade a draft class after nine, play, nine games, ten games. You really need to give it at least a couple. I mean, three years used to be the benchmark. Now people wait ten minutes. Um, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. But I really like Izzy. I, I think Warren, I think the versatility, the ability to play both spots is huge. As we said, you know, I think Tipman was why was my one, and Schwartz was or Michael Schmitz was my two. We had mm-hmm. him flipped, and we both agreed. Either one, you're going to yeah. do fine. You're getting a good player. Yeah. Um, and then Will McDonald, but then the next three, we haven't seen them. So yeah. what can you say? You know, I was going to say these all have to be incompletes. Barnes, Bernard Converse, and Zach Koontz. They obviously just haven't seen the field. I think Barnes was activated and played only in a special teams role. So you really got to call them incompletes. Um. But just for clarification, you would consider Warren and Ibanakanda incompletes as well, just based off small sample size. Yeah, I mean, really, you have if 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 I'm being intellectually honest, I would have to say they're all incomplete. Sure, because but they've Tittman all and, shown and McDonald. I think, yeah, yeah, but they've all shown. I, I guess you know, I used to have this conversation. You know, my my big thing with with young guys draft picks early on when you're not at a point that you could really grade them i always say are you at least seeing the things that made you draft them and you are with these guys mm-hmm. like when you like that was my biggest fear when the jets drafted vernon golston and it was very early on he was only a few games into his career and i'm watching it and you know every time he's on the field i'm focusing on him and i'm just going i'm not seeing this guy do a single thing that was the reason why they drafted him he's not doing right. anything and sometimes you see that in guys, and that's how I feel like you can tell early on we might have made a mistake here. Like, we thought this guy could do A, B, and C, and he's doing none of it. Whereas with these guys, you thought Tipman could be what he's been so far. You thought McDonald was going to have elite quickness. Like, sometimes you draft these guys that look like they've got elite quickness, and for whatever reason, you get them in the pros, and they're against quicker, quicker guys, and all of a sudden they don't look that quick. Not the case with McDonald. You're seeing it with him. Again, Carter Warren won game, but he showed some of what he can do. So. No, we're not grading anyone, but I'm happy that we've seen we've seen them do the things, you know, that that made the Jets draft them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So it looks like two uh leaning hits with Carter or with McDonald, excuse me, and Titman. Everybody else is kind of uh incomplete, but we have hopes <clears throat> more so for Warren and Abanacanda. Uh that wraps it up for the 2023 class. Moving on to the 2022 class, which if you were playing Madden and you were in your franchise mode and you came out with this draft class, you would feel pretty damn good about yourself. So we should uh, we should definitely give Joe Douglas his flowers, give everybody in the, the scouting staff their flowers for this draft class. Starting it off, Sauce Gardner obviously picked four overall. Garrett Wilson picked 10 overall. Jermaine Johnson traded back up 26th overall. Brees Hall 36th overall in a slight trade up, couple picks. Jeremy Ruckert, fourth round, 111th overall. And then Michael Clemens, 117th overall. Um, I, I mean, what do you even say about the first two? Sauce and Wilson? I mean, if you if you say, yeah, he fumbled in a bad spot when your backup quarterback came in and was just trying to make, you know, 
he's something out of nothing. Uh, sure, I get it. And but, he took such accountability for it that I already excused him before he even stepped to the podium or stepped into in front of the reporters and said it. I can't give Garrett Wilson any flack. I can't give Sauce any flack for jumping that pick or attempting to jump the pick that turned into the the touchdown by Kuyer Shakir. Like these guys are almost almost flawless, and you can't say it. it's so close to that realm that they're almost in that one percent already that we talked. I know, and it's listen, scary. It's um. I I can't stand how quickly fans change their opinions of guys based on a couple of plays. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. I got people tell me last week Dalvin Cook's back because he had two carries. Yeah, for like eighteen yards. Oh, that's it. There he is. And I'm I'm going back. I mean, you saw it live anyway. But I go back and I watch the plays. He's literally running to wide open space, like just <laughs> yeah. simply perfect play call. He's not making anyone miss. He's not running over anybody. He's not running around. He's taking the football and running in a straight line. Granted, it's mm-hmm. off. You know, it, it's it's a forty-five degree angle, but he's running to wide opens. Of course, he looked good. Um, but people are like, oh, that's it. He's back now. I'm like, so the first eight nine weeks don't matter because he had two good carries. Yep. And it's the same thing with listen, Garrett Wilson. Like it's frustrating because he's supposed to be the guy, but he's he's not perfect. And he you know he's made a couple mistakes, as you said. I was. Couldn't have been more impressed with the way he handled it, the way he spoke about it in the media. It, I think it's just a bad look. And the thing is, he's not wrong when he's like, things have to get better and we have to be better. But when you say that and then you fumble twice in two weeks or three weeks, it's like, all right, dude, like, got to be better, huh? So yeah. some people are going to call him out for that. I kind of get it. But Jesus Christ, he is an elite talent who, as long as he stays on the field, is going to be one of the best receivers in the NFL for the next 10 years. And the same yeah. goes for Sauce. And Sauce... So, to me, that touchdown wasn't on sauce. You know, going back and watching the All-22, he, he's on the wide side of the field. He sees that ball get thrown. He's trying to come across and make a play, not yeah. his man. And then the guy takes it to the house. And everyone's like, oh, he beats sauce, he beats sauce. No, not really. Sauce came away. Sauce peeled off the guy he was covering and, and tried to make a play on the ball. Yeah. Um, so and, and We have a comment here just speaking about Sauce and Garrett. He said one thing that makes Sauce and Garrett pick so good to me is that they were both the second players picked at their position. Stingley and London were both taken ahead of them. I could not be happier when Drake London was picked they, by Atlanta because I knew that he, there was at least the opportunity to get Garrett Wilson or I forget who else it was that I wanted at 10. But they were both obviously there mathematically, and I was so happy and yeah, it really it, not saying either of them are bad players, Stingley or London, but when you know that the next picks were Sauce and Garrett, it's like Stingley, the injury concerns. I was like, tough. you can't take yeah. that guy. No, it's it's real tough when when you see that. But good on Joe Douglas. I think that that does make it even better. So that that was a good comment there. And that's the kind of thing, and we'll we'll get to this later, you know, especially with the Becton thing and AVT. Like, I don't know, you know, it's been a while since we've covered this, Dylan. I don't I can't remember where you come down on this, but to me, I'm not holding a GM accountable if he drafts a great player who gets hurt if there's no injury history. Like, yep. if you would draft a Derek Stingley, if you come to me as the owner and say, look, I know this guy's missed a bunch of time, but we, we still feel confident he's worth the gamble. If you take that gamble and he's hurt, I'm looking at you like, dude, you're an idiot. Yeah, We knew this guy had injury problems. when you're. If you draft Mekhi Becton, will you take him? And I'm watching him throw dudes around the field like the Incredible Hulk his rookie year, and then he gets hurt, and on a fluke play, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, why did we take this guy? No, we know why we took this guy. 
You saw the film. You saw what he did when he was healthy. And then one day, Greg Van Roten gets ragdolled onto his leg. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can't believe Joe Douglas took this guy. Are you kidding me? Like, did you not watch what he did when he was on the field as a rookie? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I yeah that, that'll, that. I, I jumped the gun on that just because you talked about because the, the, the Stingley thing, you know, is a perfect yeah. example of it. Yeah. Where if, if my GM takes Stingley and he's missing a bunch of time, then I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? Why did we take a guy with the injuries? Injuries to me, man, I, I, I hate taking guys. Every now and then I see a guy that I like enough. Like, I loved Malik Hooker out of Ohio State. Yes. And he's battled injuries. But that year I was like, I think I might roll the dice on this guy. Like, he's covering 70 yards on his way to an interception. Like, he was like a video Special game. Special stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it's a gamble I would have taken, but I would have lost because he got injured. And, you know, that's fine. But. Yeah, when I see people getting bent out of shape because the GM drafted a guy with no real injury history because he then gets injured, if I'm a if I'm an owner, I'm not holding that, that against my GM. That's just yeah, me. I, I 100% align with that thinking, and um, I I put out a comment about the quarterback position going off on a little tangent, and a lot of people were saying who they wanted the Jets to draft in this upcoming class, and a lot of people like Michael Penix Jr. If you like him, look up his medical history because it is extensive. And that is the type of player where if you draft him, even for a one-year sit-down behind Aaron Rodgers and he comes in in 2025 and he gets hurt, that is the exact type of player you sit there and go, well, how would we have known? He's only been hurt six times in college. So, yeah, I completely agree. You go for guys that don't have the history, or if they have a history, maybe it is like a freak injury that doesn't necessarily pertain to their sport or to their, like, position. Like Aaron Rodgers and his Achilles. I feel better about it than it, if it was his shoulder. You know, oh, God, so yeah. those those little things, like, you have to understand the position or whatever. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think if he had injury history, you stay away. You stay If away. it's a running back and it's an <laughs> elbow, okay. Yes. If it's a quarterback and it's his elbow, different story. Exactly. <clears throat> so top two picks, obviously that's nearing the 1% from our perspective, but they're going to be in the great the great or average category at the very least, yep. Sauce and Wilson. Uh, Jermaine Johnson next on the list, their third uh, first rounder of the year. This is a guy who's made a huge second year leap. Um, another hit, I, I don't know, you got to call it a hit. He's our second best edge Absolutely. rusher behind Bryce Huff. Um, if Will McDonald makes a leap even close to what Jermaine Johnson did, we'll have three, if not four, incredibly talented edge rushers if they keep JFM. So really excited about Jermaine. Um, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, he, he, he had that, that not a very productive year last year as, as we, you know, we've talked about the playing time, which is the same thing they're doing with McDonald this year. And, um, he's, he's absolutely blown. He's actually better this year than I thought he would be. I, I, I expected a leap forward. I didn't expect a lot. I mean, he, he could be looking at a 12 or 13 sack season the way he's playing, which is just phenomenal. Um, and just goes to show, man, like I thought about this the other day. Imagine if this team, imagine if they played with leads, which was the plan. I you know. know what I mean? It's, yeah. That's why it's like, it just. I'm not going to get into that because I'm going to get all. Yeah, I was going to say it would have been incredible to see this team play for a lead with more for more than like seven game minutes over yeah, 10 exactly. games. Hopefully, hopefully next year, hopefully next yeah. year, but, but Brees Hall's up next. Right? Yeah. I was going to say another easy hit. This is a, an easy one. Obviously Brees Hall is our most explosive player. Um, 
on on the team. Obviously, I know defensive players are explosive in their own right, but he is the most explosive player on our team. Scores only the only person that scores touchdowns at a reasonable clip for this offense. Hopefully, things change with uh, Tim Boyle under center, but Brees Hall special four for four. Joe Douglas so far in twenty twenty two. Yep, and then you got Jeremy Ruckert, who I would say at this point, at the very worst, is an incomplete. Yes. Because he's just not a guy who sees the targets. I mean, no. really, he's been behind Uzama and Conklin most of the time. Now it looks like he's going to get ramped up and play a little bit more. Um, that's that's what I'm, I'm hoping Tim Boyle is a guy who recognizes his tight ends and uses them because Zach Wilson certainly didn't. So mm-hmm. it's an incomplete for, for Ruckert. But what we've seen, just based on his ability to be a blocker, um, you see he's a guy who can play in this league and you can see him carving out, you know, it, and I'm not saying he can only be a blocker, but there are guys in this league who only do that. Um, and he does that well, but I think he's, I think we're going to start seeing him as a receiving threat more. So I'm saying incomplete now, but from what we've seen of him, there's no reason to believe he won't be a good player. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, last one on the list here, Michael Clemens. I'm, I got to put him in the mix. Max Mitchell. Oh, did I miss Max Mitchell? I'm sorry. Yeah, Max Mitchell's first, right? They were both uh, six picks apart. Max yep. Mitchell, ah, this one's tough for me because I had no expectations, so he obviously outperformed all expectations last year. But this year now with expectations, I don't think he is living up to them. He's had good games, like I mentioned. But I don't know. I think he's – if you want to put him incomplete, that's fine. But I think he would be leaning more for a miss than than a hit for me. Yeah, same. Um if listen, if you're if he's going to hang around as a depth piece as a spot starter and hopefully, you know, again, let's let's not forget he's got less than a full season under his belt yes. because of the blood clots last year. You get him coached up and get him to where he can be a quality depth piece um in the fourth round, that's what you're hoping to get. You know, you get starters in round 4 and beyond, you're the, those are huge hits. Um yeah. if you tell me we got to even if, if Max Mitchell has one contract and he's with the Jets for four years and he's a, a solid backup for a year or two, that that's it. You know, like the numbers showed, like some of these guys are, they have two to three years of playing decent football and that's, that's above average. So Max Mitchell right now, yeah, the way he's playing right now, you'd have to say it's at, at best a not very good pick, but it's got the potential to, to have some value if he, uh, if he gets straightened out, because the thing is, you know, it's oh line play around the league is so bad. Like so right. many teams are are struggling there. But, yeah, I think Max Mitchell at right now at best is a not very good pick, but has the potential to be, you know, a solid pick for that for, for where you got him at 111. Yeah, I think I'm more excited just because they're both fourth round picks. I'm more excited for Carter Warren and his prospects as yes. opposed to a Max Mitchell. So definitely something to keep an eye on if one of them becomes your long-term swing tackle or if they're just both your sh- strong three and four tackles and you have two starters above them. I know everybody loves depth on the tackle position. So Max Mitchell incomplete, leaning a miss. This one I don't think is leaning anything. I think it's just a miss. Um, and this doesn't really have anything to do with his dust-up with Deion Dawkins. I understand Deion Dawkins kind of flopped on him and tried to embarrass him, but Michael Clemens is not doing enough for me on this defense. He's taking up 33.3% of the snaps, which I understand he plays a completely different role than Will McDonald, but that's the type of snaps where you can start bleeding out some to Will McDonald from Clemens. But he only has 11 total tackles, two, two missed tackles, and one tackle for loss, five pressures, 
he did have a forced fumble in Buffalo against Josh Allen on the botch snap, but he's playing 234 snaps this season and he does not have any production to show for it. So yeah, I think Mike, Michael Clemens is probably a solid miss for me. Not, not even an incomplete at this point. Yeah, I would, I would say if I had to say hit or miss, I would say leaning miss. Um, I thought last year he was better than he is this year. Uh, did mm-hmm. a nicer job against the run. I think he's been a better run defender than pass rusher. Yeah. So he again, he's he's kind of in this not not far off from being the same as Mitchell to me. Um, I could see him being a solid depth piece, but I could also see him being a guy that they move on from, and you know, after this year, or, you know, maybe hangs around for another season. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So that wraps it up with the 2022 class, right? 2021 now. Uh, this is the class that has been coming under the microscope the most lately, obviously due to the Zach Wilson benching. But you also look at it, you have Zach Wilson, second overall, Elijah Vera Tucker, 14th overall, Elijah Moore, 34th overall, Michael Carter, most recently cut, 107th overall, Jamie and Sherwood, 146th, Michael Carter, the second, 154th, <clears throat> and then Pinnock. Nazarel Dean and Brandon Eccles and Jonathan Marshall in the sixth round, all four of them. I, I forgot they had four six round picks. Pinnock um, was five. Oh, okay. I have that wrong in my chart then. So one fifth and yeah, three six round Three fifths and three six. Okay. That makes sense then. So yeah, you look at the top of this, Zach Wilson, obviously benched, probably not going to play again for the Jets. Hopefully not going to play again for right. the Jets. If, if you ask me, if you ask a lot of people, there's still some people out there that are, you know, dying on the hill that he can still be something in the NFL. Maybe they only live in Provo, Utah. But at this point, we've seen enough over 31 games from Zach. He is the biggest miss on this entire sheet. And that's there's no debating that, no. in my opinion. And if we're still going to debate that, just talk to the wall behind me because I'm not going to listen anymore about anything Zach Wilson. He has shown flashes, but at this point, we've proven that this offense needs a – Solid floor quarterback as opposed to a could-be-ceiling quarterback. We all know Zach Wilson can throw the ball 60 yards. He did the no-look stuff. That's all well and good. But if you can't do the little things right in this offense, it's not going to make a difference. So, Zach, big miss for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think the thing that's that's fueling the, the, the people who don't want to let go is the fact that there are some legitimate reasons why he was as bad as he was. I mean, he was mm-hmm. bad. That you know the thing, it's it's tough because right you watch the all twenty two when no one's getting separation, but as you know the clip you showed <laughs> the other day, when they do get separation, he's missing. So yep. you have a much stronger case if you can say, look, no one gets separation, but on the rare occasions they do, he makes a play, and that's not the case. Um, I I don't know if it's his confidence. I don't know. I don't know if he, the best thing would have just been to say, you know what, dude, just go play your brand of football and do what you like to do because they they took a guy who made a name for himself as a guy who moved the pocket and rolled out and made plays on the move and said, no, we're going to make you a pocket guy. Stay, stay there. Don't move play from there. And so they, I don't get why teams do it. Like, and it's not just the jets. You see guys, Oh, look at all these wonderful things he does. We're going to draft them. And then we're going to tell him not to do those things. Right. Um, so if, if he has any chance at succeeding, once he moves on from the jets, it's going to be a team that says play how you like to play and see what happens. But, as far as his time with the Jets, it's done. Um, again, he's only playing if there are some injuries. 
far too much, you know, far too. What was it? It was a, another baldy breakdown on the rollout the other day on the on the screen pass, where he dirted the ball, and Baldy slows it down. He's like, "There's there's ten yards of open field in front of him." Yeah, like it's first down. It could have been second and two. Instead, it's second and ten because he just threw the ball on the ground, and you can't be doing that. You're not a rookie anymore, and and there have been a few times this year because you know that's been one of my complaints is why don't they have him run more often? But then you do see plays where it's not a design run, but there's a chance to run and make some plays, and uh, and he doesn't. So he's um, but put it this way: the Jets didn't put him in the best position, but he certainly didn't help himself out. Yeah, and I think the one common argument people like to make is what they did for Darnold and what they did for Wilson. It's night and day, what they provided Darnold versus what they provided with Zach Wilson. And that's where I I stop blaming the organization, the coaches, and the general managers, and I start blaming Zach because you have all these assets around you that Sam Darnold never had, and that was the argument. Do we keep Sam or do we draft a new one? And we knew at that point it was going to be Zach Wilson once we beat the Rams and the Browns, but – Maybe we should have kept Sam. It's just crazy how many people yeah. have already said in my comments about a quarterback question. Can we trade and for I, and Sam? I see Darnold? Highlander here saying, you know, uh, that he wants to see him with another team. Which, which, listen, I'll, I'll give you that. Like I just said, yeah, his only chance at succeeding is going somewhere where they 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 let him play his brand of football. Yeah, the Jets drafted a guy who did one thing and they asked him to do another. Um, but again, you're still an NFL quarterback. You got to hit open receivers, um, which Zach failed to do. So he he didn't help himself out. Um, both sides were, were not very good at this. And the weird thing was the Jets admitted, right? They said, we probably shouldn't have played him right away, but we did. Yeah. So they kind of acknowledged that screw up, but then, and this is, and not to get too far off track, but I did want to touch on this tonight because it was a thought I had the other day. I said it in the forums on Jet Nation, and then I, I heard somebody else say it. And the more I think about this backup quarterback situation, Dylan, I really think that the Jets only, because and maybe it's me grasping at straws because I like Joe Douglas. But this had to be outside interference and saying, look, we're spending 25, 30 on Aaron. We're spending another nine on Zach. We're not letting you spend $50 million at the quarterback position. Yeah. So, no, you can't go get Gardner Minshew for $8 million. You can't go get Baker Mayfield for, for $10 million, whatever it may be. We're already spending 40 plus million at quarterback. You've got what you've got. And I... I can't come up with another reason why Joe Douglas would jump through hoops to replace Zach Wilson. There's no stronger admission that he's not your quarterback than replacing him. But then standing pat, like you're literally in one breath saying this guy's not good enough to be our QB. However, we're going to put ourselves in a position where he's one play away from being our QB. I think some, and you know, we've seen the reports, right? From, I think it was Josina Anderson um, in the off season saying the Jets or early in the year, the Jets are cash-strapped, and then a few weeks later, the Jets are asking season ticket holders for their money early, which kind of mm-hmm. supports the theory that they're cash-strapped. It's it's the only logical explanation as to why Joe Douglas would have done what he did with the quarterback situation, because it's so nonsensical and reckless. Yeah, and, and I made this point on uh, Buffalo Jet Fans podcast on Monday. How can Salah stand at the podium this week and say that they wanted to give Zach Wilson a redshirt year? when Aaron Rodgers goes down after four plays and Zach is in pads ready to go into a football game. If, this is if, what I mean. It's so by definition, by definition, red shirt means you're in street clothes with a headset and a clipboard learning the offense. That's what that means. And that was not what they did. But <clears> the and thing could, is though, 
with that stuff, sometimes, and again, this kind of goes back to what I'm saying about the money. I wonder if that's not necessarily a shot. I wonder if that's Salah reminding somebody upstairs, we wanted a red shirt year. Yeah, and but that could you, be. And you know upstairs, you weren't willing to let it happen. But and that's just remember where it becomes that Joe's me and fault. Joe wanted him in street clothes. Right, and it could. that's where it comes either to Joe or Woody. And like you said, how can Woody stand here at the press conference right after the season, say we're going to do everything to change the quarterback position. We know quarterback is the issue. That's the one thing holding us back. And just not go full bore. Like I always say you want to go like you want to overcorrect more so than do a half measure. And I'm not saying Aaron Rodgers was a half measure, but not getting a veteran is the half measure. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. We all know that. But right. on the off chance that he's he gets also a hurt, great 38-year-old quarterback who was injured exactly. last year. Yes. On the off chance that he gets hurt for the whole season, you're gonna need somebody. So yeah, you can look at Salah, Joe, Woody, all of them individually and say that there's pieces where it's like they could have been the one that said keep him on the field. Salah clearly isn't the one that said keep him on the field. He's been trying to take him off. But between Joe and Woody, and we'll probably never find out the real, you know, a- end of that. But somebody was keeping his I said, I said the other day, the I, need, I, need, I need Albert Breer. I need an off-season yeah. unpaid story on what happened. But I want to throw this one up here because I was going to mention this one tonight too. Um, sorry, not that one. This one right here. And 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 I've talked about this before. Uh, Scott Mason oh, and yes. I did a show on it. This garbage tape that the Jets drafted Zach Wilson because of one throw at his pro day. Never in the history of sports has there been a lazier take than this. It yeah. is so dumb, ill-informed, idiotic. Zach Wilson was the consensus number two quarterback in that class. It's been documented. Charlie Casserly, as he often does, former GM, he'll go around and he'll do an article around draft time and say, you know, I spoke to, he he spoke to however many GMs. It was 13 or 14 GMs. Every single one of them had Zach as QB2 behind Trevor Lawrence. Mm -hmm. If you go back and listen, the other thing is the level of competition. I'm not saying that's a non-factor, but quarterbacks who face less competition than Zach did have succeeded. Like, if you look like you can play and they believe you'll be able to adjust, they're going to draft you. Uh, The example I always use is Steve McNair. Steve McNair played at Alcorn State, and he was a damn good pro. Who did he beat at Alcorn? He probably didn't face a single player who made it to the NFL. At least Zach Wilson, you could say he beat Tennessee, beat USC. Um, You know, he played, and uh, somebody said the other day that, um, the the Baker Mayfield schedule, the defenses he played, were actually comparable in rankings to the ones that Zach Wilson played in college. So this these two garbage narratives. One, the comp- again, I'm not saying the competition was good. I'm saying that's not a be all end all. You can face low level competition and still succeed. But the garbage takes about they drafted him because I one throw. I saw someone tweet the other day. This one throw will haunt Jets fans for years. Yes, if you're an idiot Jets fan who doesn't know what was going on in the I world. I did see that. Th- that throw will haunt you. For- and you know what? If that throw haunts you for years, you deserve to have that throw haunt you for years. If you're that ill-informed and just boneheaded, by all means, I hope you never sleep again and you stay up at night sweating thinking about a pro day throw that you believe was the reason the Jets drafted Zach Wilson. Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't get any dumber. It really doesn't. Anyway, yeah, moving right I, along. I was going to say, there are plenty of... <clears throat> takes as to why Zach um, 
was picked by the Jets specifically. And I think between that and like the political angles people took were very, very stupid. So just whatever reason you think the Jets took Zach, you're probably right. That's why they took him, and it didn't work out. So it is what it is. Moving on to a pick that did work out as long as he can stay healthy, Elijah Vera Tucker. I mean, this guy is just special. Another easy hit. Like I'm not going to say the 1% group like Sauce or Wilson, but this guy is going to be great to average at a minimum. Obviously, health has now become a concern, missing half of the seasons this year and last year. So kind of concerning. Different injuries, obviously. First was a tricep, and now it's an Achilles. Um, Tough. Those are bad positions when you're an offensive lineman to get hurt at and in your shoulder and your ankle. So he's going to be tough for AVT, but he's clearly the best, if not second best, offensive lineman on the team to date. And he's he's another one. He's he's in there with Becton as far as as an owner. I'm not mm-hmm. holding that against my GM. Right. Like the guy didn't have injury issues. Cause I guess my concern when I, and I'm, I'm not, you know, I said this the other day, I'm not saying Joe Douglas is getting fired. Um, but if, if it were to get to that point and you move on from him as a GM, I just think, well, he clearly showed he can identify talent in the draft. What happens if he goes to the next team and does the same thing? And those guys and his picks don't get hurt. Right. Then all of a sudden you're looking at him going, oh man, we had one of the best GMs in the NFL. Why'd we fire him? You fired him because guy because a guy tore a tricep. You fired him because a guy you you fired your, your GM because Denver had garbage turf. That's that's why he's not your GM now. You blamed Joe Douglas for the grounds crew in Denver. You know what I mean? Like you have to. Yeah. It to me, it's all about can you identify talented players? And as we're seeing here going through. Um, you know, again, having discussed what hit rates are, Joe Douglas has been not perfect, but far better than a lot of people give him credit for. Yeah, um, I see a comment in here. Saul and Douglas need to be fired. Um, also had a comment from the same person saying we only upgraded the wide receiver position with Cobb. Um, obviously, we know that the wide receivers were going to be dominated by Aaron Rodgers' decision-making process. Um but I don't think anybody needs to be fired for what they did at wide receiver. Maybe they could have made one more move, but Corey Davis retiring does not reflect anybody's decision-making process. Alan Lazard, you can question the contract they signed, but he's definitely going to be a different player when Aaron Rodgers is throwing in the ball. I don't know if it's a mental thing or he just is allergic to I mean, Zach Wilson. He's Wilson's always had a high drop rate. Yes, it's not he always time, has. But he's always no. had a high drop rate. Yeah, 17% drop rate this season is just incredibly bad. And I but... think it's higher than that. Like, there, there's one. He had one He's not credited day, for all they, of them. Yeah. yeah, I don't think they counted it as a drop the other day because he got hit as the ball arrived. That yeah. ball was coming out of his hands before he got hit. That was a drop. Yeah. Um, But, I, you know, I, I criticized them, for, as you know, for the wide receiver thing all offseason. I thought they needed to go get DeAndre Hopkins even before Corey Davis right. retired because you got Davis with the injury history. You've got Lazard with the drop history. I looked up the numbers. Um, DeAndre Hopkins drops one out of every 80 targets. Like, it's, it's absurd. He might have the best hands ever. Yeah. So I, I, I've said a million times, Joe Douglas, to me, his biggest flubs this offseason were QB2 and wide receiver. I'm not saying he should be fired for it. And that's another thing that I did want to touch on, Dylan, before we move on to the next player, is people who want Joe Douglas fired. Yeah. Like, do you not think he might learn from these mistakes? 
Like, you want to fire every guy who's not perfect right away? Like, if you can look at his history, again, we're going through it now. If you can look at his picks and be like, he's got a hit, he's got a hit, he's got a hit, he's got a hit here, he's got an okay hit here, he's got two future Hall of Famers here, he's got a hit here. Oh, but he had some mistakes, so we got to fire him. Yeah. Well, maybe he learns from those. And maybe he goes, you know what? Maybe when I think I have enough receivers, I'll go grab one more. Because you can't, you know, why not? You know, maybe I won't. Listen, if, like I like I said, I believe the Zach thing was came from upstairs. If it didn't, mm-hmm. and that was Joe Douglas saying, damn it, Zach's my guy, and I'm going to prove everyone wrong. Maybe he'll learn from that and say, you know what? I need to be less emotionally attached to these picks and evaluate them more honestly and, and be willing to push him back to number three and say, you're sitting on the bench this year. Like, maybe he learns from it. He's He's done so much good. Like, as I always say, we've seen so many GMs who do nothing but bad. Mm-hmm. The fact that we've seen a guy who's done a lot of good is like, oh, well, let's hang on to him. And just like a young player, like maybe he'll get better. Maybe he'll learn from the mistakes he's made. I, I don't get the, you know, let's see. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would let Joe, the, I don't think you fire a GM because he drafted one quarterback. Ozzie Newsom drafted 10. Mm-hmm. T- 10 quarterbacks Ozzie Newsom drafted, including Kyle Bowler in the first round. So there was his Zach Wilson. Um, it's the hardest position to find in the sport. I'm not firing a GM because he missed once. Yeah, no, I agree. And I'm maybe I'm <clears throat> a bit hesitant to let him draft a quarterback highly again. But I'm like, if you want to get a developmental guy and draft him, that's fine. Obviously, while we have Aaron Rodgers, I don't think we need to draft a premium pick quarterback. But I would trust Joe Douglas at least one more time to get the quarterback position right via the draft. Absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> Where are we Sorry. at? I'm playing. Uh, we're at Elijah we're at wide Moore. receiver. Yep, wide receiver Elijah Moore. Obviously, no longer on the team with the Cleveland Browns. Stuck playing with another backup quarterback because his is injured for the season. I thought he was going to be one of the best hits for the Jets. I was so hyped for him. Obviously, you have to look at it as a miss for the Jets, but what they were able to turn it into to get Aaron Rodgers with the pick, I guess you can kind of you know take a silver lining there. But it's a miss in terms of draft perspective from joe douglas and the jets it is again it goes back to what i said right identifying talented players he did that but of course it turned out he was a not a great guy in the locker room and could you know that's i'd be more willing to if i'm an owner again i guess that's how i'm looking at it i'm i'm trying to view joe douglas how i would view him if i'm the owner not as a fan like i look at like what i would i hold him accountable for this or not i mean you hold him accountable for everything but w- would this be a strike against him? A guy getting injured to me isn't a strike against him. Something like this, I'm like, who? Who did we talk to? Like, wh- what? What were we told about his character? Because we all saw the penalty he got for you know urinating like a dog. Which, oh yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm an. Uh, maybe because I'm an old man, I don't see the humor in that. To me, like if I'm a coach and like I'm in head of in charge of an organization, and someone who works for me does that in a public setting. I'm going to be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, you're, right. what are you doing right now? You know, like there are a lot of ways to celebrate that don't include, you know, urination, um, like a dog for some reason. Um, so, you know, that was kind of a red flag to me in terms of like, this guy's clearly pretty selfish. Like he's willing to get a penalty just to get a laugh, um, which again was, was something that, you know, you hoped he'd learn from. And maybe, you know, that was, maybe he had, right. Oh, he made a mistake. He, he got talked to about it, and he won't do something like that again. I mean, he didn't, and he didn't do anything like that, but he clearly wasn't a good locker room guy. So it's like, who who did we talk to? Who did we speak to that alleviated our concerns? Whose word did we take? 
when we believed that this guy was going to be a team player um, because clearly he was not. But again, talented player, not doing much in Cleveland, but nobody on offense is doing much there. Um, I really, I still think in the right system, he could be a really good player. Yeah, I think it's funny that you used the word selfish to describe him in that, you know, post-touchdown celebration stunt because that's exactly what it was when he requested the trade request in the middle of a three-game winning streak. It was just completely selfish. So, unfortunately, <clears throat> the not necessarily the red flag character concerns about him, but in a sense, yes, that's what they were. They kind of reared their ugly head when when he came to New York. So, good player, great player, could be potentially, um, but obviously the Jets aren't going to see it. Yep. Another guy that another guy in offense skill position that they're not going to see, you know, become the player that they thought Michael Carter, obviously just recently cut a bit of a head scratcher here because a couple weeks back, they could have traded him for like even a seventh round pick or anything, pick swap, anything. They could have got something for him. And the fact that he was picked up and claimed by two other teams, Arizona claimed him, but also Washington and Tampa tried to claim him shows me that they might've had something at the deadline and just, you know, cut ties a couple weeks earlier and, you know, moved on to a band of and, and got something back for him. That being said, it's obviously a miss for Joe Douglas. Um, but I'm not going to kill him for the pick because running back is somebody, a position that you probably need to take every year to keep your stable fresh with legs. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny that, uh, it's it not not funny. It's just weird sometimes when you see these guys. Because if you watch Michael Carter in college, uh, watch him at the Senior Bowl, watch him year one. Like, there's no reason to think he won't be a solid player. At, like, mm-hmm. his floor should have been, you know, decent running back. De- absolutely a number three running back. Um, probably better suited to be a number two. Um, and I I said this off season that when I went back, I you know when I went back to watch him UNC to get another, a look at Chaz Surratt, I was watching Michael Carter. I'm like, God, I forgot how good this guy is. Like, I he I he's a good player. And I thought he'd bounce back and maybe he would have again. How much do these guys get hurt by getting one touch every three weeks? You know, like it's just, it it is, it is what it is. He's gone. I love the person, like everything I've ever seen him do. Every interview, the interactions, you could see how popular he was in the locker room. Uh, I I wish him well. I really hope he has a, a really nice career for himself. I think, I think he's the type of player he would have been a hit if he got the opportunities, but uh, you got to count him as a miss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, we have two defenders, uh, both still with the team back to back. Jamie and Sherwood, linebacker, fifth round, and uh, Michael Carter, the second cornerback in the fifth round. Starting with Sherwood, I mean, depth player, special teams, a core special teams player. So you have to say he's either a hit or an incomplete at the worst. He's definitely not a miss when he comes in and plays defensive snaps. He, even when targeted in the past game, he holds his own. He puts he's his getting face better. In, yeah. He's definitely a like, face in the fan type of player from safety. Right. Yep. So you got to figure he's going to be a couple year project. Yep. And I think, I think he's trending in the right. I would say he's definitely a hit and I think he's got the potential to be a big hit, but you know, get, give him another year, get more defensive reps at linebacker. And maybe next season he could be a guy, you know, no need to get into all this right now, but they don't have a lot of cash next year. And the the one guy they can move on from and save a bunch of money is CJ Mosley and save 17 million. Mm-hmm. So another conversation for another time, but Sherwood to me is, is, is a hit. He's going to be minimum special team or backup, but I think he's good enough to be a starter at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely the, the path for him is becoming a full-time starter in the next year or two alongside Quincy Williams. 
Michael Carter the second, obviously a starter slot corner. He was out last week with a hamstring injury that popped up yep. on the Friday practice that they added him Saturday. So he was out. Um, not sure what he's going to play, if he's going to play or not this Friday. Um, but I'm I'm fine with him. I think he's a top, you know, five. Yeah, he's one seven. of the best. Nickel. He might yeah. be just in did, terms did of value. You, he might be Douglas's best pick. Did you happen to see the graphic of the top ten slot corners that did not have Michael Carter on the list? I thought I it was didn't. really I thought it was really intriguing. It was a graphic. I forget what outlet put it out, but maybe it was just the fact that he missed last week. But like he was not on the list at all. And so many people in the comments, Jets fans and non Jets fans, were like Michael Carter the second the best nickel corner in the league. So it, I'm glad that he's getting his hype. Um, that was my one prediction this year was Michael Carter's both. We're going to have breakout years for the jets. Um, I said that before Dalvin cook came to the team, but I also still felt that way about the running back, but always felt that way about the cornerback too. And he has definitely shown it um, makes us the best trio uh, in the league at the cornerback position. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, I think just in terms of sheer value, he might be Douglas's best pick. Obviously, yeah. his best players were taken in the first round, but he's probably the best player taken outside of the top three rounds. Um, yeah. And you got him in you got him in round five, um, along with the next guy who, again, here here's a guy that I I, I kind of made you know mental notes as I was taking a, a glance at these picks last night. Jason Pinnock, the again, is it like we we don't know how much like every GM of course should be working hand-in-hand with his personnel staff, his coaching staff. Why isn't Pinnock on his team? Like, you used a draft pick on him, a late pick. When he got on the field as a rookie, he played well. Like, he wasn't great, but I think everybody universally was like, oh, this could be another value pick. Like, he's going to, this guy's going to get some playing time next year. And then out of the blue, he gets cut. And then he latches on right away with the Giants, and he's logging significant playing time with them. And it's, it's it's one of those things. It's you know most people aren't as crazy with the, as we are, so they don't spend a lot of time thinking about Jason Pinnock. But I every time I hear his name, I'm like, what the hell happened there? Like, why mm-hmm. did a good young player who you just drafted, who showed he could play a little bit, why does he get cut? And it it, it always makes me wonder. And I'm you know I'm not trying to imply anything, but I I always remind myself. Same thing with the draft when guys stay on the board longer than you expect. I have to remind myself like things go on that we don't know about. Maybe a coach didn't like him. Maybe he didn't like a coach. Like maybe something because there I can't think of a football reason why he's not there, basically is what I'm saying. If yeah. it's purely football, we should be talking about him right now as a hit. Like, yeah, this guy's a fifth round player, a spot starter, good backup. That's a hit. But instead, yeah. he's a giant and was a giant in short order with no real explanation. And that was a, a move that happened last offseason, if I remember correctly, which means that they chose LaMarcus Joyner over Jason Pinnock. Uh, okay, something, if that's the decision that, that you want to make. But, uh, yeah, I think even with the the love for Tony Adams, you still could have kept Pinnock around and potentially gotten rid of somebody else in the room. But that's neither here nor there. It would have been a hit for Joe Douglas for sure. Um, the next one, not on the team anymore, battled some injuries, changed his position. Hampson Azrael Dean, Florida State. I mean, it's obviously a miss. He's not on the team anymore, but he basically was a, a special teams only type of player when he was here. His rookie year, I believe he got, you know, a game and a half worth of starter reps. And at that point, they knew they didn't have anything really in him. So unfortunately, he's definitely a miss. 
Um, any thoughts on Hamza, or should we just keep rolling? Um, real quick, he is um, he's on their injured list. He's still with them. Oh, okay. So I wasn't sure because of his season-ending injury if they kept him on the IR. I know sometimes they just choose to like outright get rid of them. So like I yeah, know like sure Chuck Clark will. and stuff are, is on that list as well. Yeah, um, let me. See. I'm just so maybe they it. do want to keep him for next year, and and that's a potential that, depth. Piece. That being said, if he's not a miss now, I think he's going to be a miss. Yes, because see now he's not showing up. He showed up <laughs> a second ago. Of because course. the thing with him. I don't think we've ever seen a guy lose a starting job quicker than Hamza Nasruddin did. If you think back, the Jets drafted him. They handed him the number one job in training camp. He was running with the ones. He was the starter week one. And then just like that, he was, uh, okay, yeah, he, this says he's a free agent. I Googled him first. And oh, he showed okay. up as being on their injured list. And now I just Googled him again. And it says uh, free agent. So he is okay. gone. But yeah, he, um, he was a guy who was drafted, handed the handed the starting job, and um, it he he made it to about halftime of his second game, mm-hmm. and he never started another game. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty obvious uh, right away that they knew that that was not going to be a starter for them, and we had the emergence of Quincy Williams at the same time, uh, or shortly thereafter. Uh, next right. guy on the list, Brandon Eccles, corner, stepped in and played slot last week, did an okay job. Um, really has an incredible path to the NFL going through the Juco route, then to Kentucky. Um, I'm cool with him as a depth piece. I think he's a hit from that perspective of being a a good quality corner depth piece. We'll get to one in this next draft class who I don't think is a hit, but is a still a depth piece on this team. But uh, Brandon Eccles, I definitely think is, is a hit if you want to call him anything. I don't think he's a miss. Yeah, absolutely. Given, given his draft slot, given how well he's played, um, he started 14 games as rookie, of course, and then he got he got moved aside. If you think back last year, he he jumped um, Bryce Hall on the depth chart, yeah, which surprised a lot of people. Um, so he was working his way up the depth chart. He was the first backup, and he came in in that Cleveland game and had a couple of PBUs. You know, Cleveland saw him come in the game, said we're going to test this guy right away, and he had two PBUs in a big spot in the end zone. Um, so he's played well when called upon. I thought he looked good against Buffalo. So to me, he's he's easily a hit. He's He's what you want on day three. Look, you get a day three starter. That's a miracle. You get a day three spot starter, solid backup. I love it. I'll take that every time. That's a hit. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're going for in the day three range of the draft is is quality, depth, special teams, players, that that type of thing. Yep. And Brandon Eccles fits the bill both ways. Uh, last guy in the 2021 class, Jonathan Marshall, defensive tackle from Arkansas. I was a little upset when they cut him. Um, not because I thought he was going to be like fantastic or anything, but the, when guys get cut and they immediately get claimed by other teams, I just get a little nervous that those are the types of players you're going to see perform better on a second team. Jonathan Marshall obviously never really did that. I think he's still on Pittsburgh's practice squad. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, maybe he's not in the league anymore, but he was, I was a little upset when he left, but obviously a miss for Joe Douglas. But when you're picking at 207, it's really not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and tails here, tails for the asphalt jockey, clearly not a fan of Salah or Douglas. Um, I I don't know if you're here when I said it earlier. Um, I'm not big on firing guys after their first few mistakes, like GMs, whether it's a player coach, GM, like guys make mistakes as they go and and as they learn. And Joe Douglas is, um, as I said, I, I don't, I really am at the point with because of what we had with Idzik and McCagnin 
I don't I don't even want to hear about the mistakes because we know every GM makes them. Yeah. Like, show me the hits, and I'll tell you if I want to keep the guy around. And yeah. if you've got a few draft classes where you're drafting multiple all pros and high level starters in their first year, and and several of them, like I'm keeping that guy around for a little while and hope he gets better too. I'm not gonna look at it and go, well. You drafted, you know, you went from worst roster in the league to Super Bowl caliber defense in three years, but I'm going to fire you because the, the head coach has done poorly or because you missed on the quarterback. Like, I'm not going to allow perfection to be the standard right off the bat because then you're never going to have a GM for more than a year or two. Everyone yeah. is going to make mistakes in their first couple of years. And if we're just going to fire every guy when they make mistakes, then you're just, you're going to have zero stability. So, uh, yeah. so whether or not, you know, I mean, there's no doubt Joe Douglas has made mistakes. But um, he's also done a lot of things really well. Um, and with that, we can get on to the 2020 class. Probably his worst yeah, um, yeah. collectively. But I, I will say, um, we'll go player by player. But one thing that, that I do like about this class is that um, it, it feels like like Becton is a big, I mean, obviously the biggest question mark right now in, in terms of that class. Like, what do you do with him? Do you tag him? You, you definitely do not give him a long-term deal. I think the best Becton can hope for right now is from the Jets is to get tagged on a one-year deal. Hope he plays well next year, and then you consider a long-term deal. Yeah, but before, he could very before, well leave, and the Jet the Jets just might say we're going to let him go, and we'll and we'll take that comp pick. Yeah. Um, before and, I before and, I get into Becton, I, yeah. I I have to post this. Why why would we ever call Jim Harbaugh and give him the reins to the whole franchise? I wouldn't. This, He's a lunatic. This might make me so aggravated. Out of no- we're talking about Joe Douglas draft picks, and this is the type of stuff. I don't know. J- Jim Harbaugh to me does not sound like the guy who's going to come in and make everything better. And if there's a guy who has held this lock, alienate he- people. Yeah, I if actually, there's a guy who doesn't do that, it's Rob Sala and somebody who brings their locker room together. This defensive locker room should have cracked a year and a half ago with this Zach Wilson bullshit, and they have not. And it's because of Zach Wilson or because of Rob Sala, excuse me. So I don't and know. It's just, it makes me so frustrated to say that he's he's bad or trash when he's keeping this locker room from literally fracturing at every step of the way. And, and I'll tell you this about Jim Harbaugh. And if, if you if you've been listening to to me or this show for any length of time, you know, I've been doing this for a few years now. Um, I never, I never do that thing that a lot, I know there's a lot of podcasters who cover every team and they like, they pretend to have sources behind the Mm -hmm. scenes and they know people in the building. And I've never done that. I never do that. I don't like, I never make believe I've got sources. Um, However, with the Harbaugh thing, and this was just a weird, uh, a, a random conversation I had with a buddy of mine. And he's he's very close friends with a national level um, NFL reporter, um, and he he just in passing we were we were really talking about the Jets, and this was around the time Harbaugh left, and he just kind of randomly was like, oh, he's like he's like San Francisco, that entire front office is is a disaster right now. Like Harbaugh ruined that place. It's going to take them years to rebuild the mess that Harbaugh made, um, and it's not stuff that makes the news. All you see is, oh, look, he was so great, but they had some disagreements, so he left. Like, no, he won some games, but he 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 ruined the whole structure of the of the uh, the front office, and he, he set that franchise back quite a bit. And I, I just think he's a maniac. And, and and listen, I think a lot of head coaches are. Yeah, like sure. who, who takes a job last that requires the, the work hours that there's uh, that you know the attention to detail, and it uh, you have to be a little bit nuts to do that job. 
but I think he's a little extra. Like his brother, I think is a lot more stable. I would yes. take him in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, but but not that one. So yeah, yeah I think uh, I think he did a a real bad job. I think he 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 kind of screwed San Francisco over before he left there, and and I don't want him here. I don't I don't I think he would be. Potentially screwing over Michigan on his way out too, but we'll see how all of that obviously <clears throat> unfolds. Getting back to it, 2020 class, the uh, the work from home draft class, as we'll call it, 2020. You know, uh, yeah. Joe Douglas's closest uh, proximity people were his three children. Um, tough to draft in those uh, conditions. I'm not going to say he gets a full pass. No GM gets a pass, even for the 2020 draft class. Yep, but because they were all when, drafted in the same, they were all drafted you, in the same. Yeah, when you look at all those teams' draft classes combined, most of them took a dip. Obviously, there's teams that drafted the good players in the 2020 class. There's plenty of them, but most of these teams had a pretty, you know, bad draft overall. So you got to take it with your lumps. You know, they didn't have private workouts. They didn't have a lot of things that year that they normally have in their draft process. That being said, Mackay Becton, Joe Douglas's very first draft pick at 11th overall. Denzel Mims, 59th overall. Ashton Davis, 68th overall. Jabari Zuniga, 79th overall. LaMichael Pirine, 120th. James Morgan, 125th. Cameron Clark, 129th. Bryce Hall, 158th. And Braden Mann, 191. Um, starting it off with Becton, we, you mentioned it a little bit. Um, wasn't injured a ton in, in Louisville. I think he had one small ankle injury. Yeah, a couple minor things. Nothing yeah, nothing noteworthy. major. Um, so he's a hit for me because when he's on the field, he's almost like an A plus type of guy, but you got to count the two years off as like an F on his grade because he wasn't there and he was hurt. Obviously there was the stuff with his weight that got a little bit inflated, not, you know, to be a, not to make a pun, but it got a little inflated and, and, uh, you know, things happen with that, but he's an A plus on the field type of player. So I'd say he's a hit, but I understand if, they don't want to give them that long-term contract extension that, that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. I would, you know, I would say, I would, I would say he's neither a hit or a miss. And again, he, he's in that category. I'm not holding it against Joe Douglas and I'm recognizing the fact that he drafted a guy with elite talent. Yeah. And that's like, I guess, again, from an owner perspective, uh, that would be a hit. I, again, it, draft me, you know, if you get me another guy like that and he doesn't get hurt, like we've got, we've got a pro bowler. Um, potentially all pro, potentially all famer. Like I said, like that guy does things or was doing things as a rookie that I've never seen anyone do. I've never seen a guy that like, of course you've seen guys get tossed over the years, but not with that frequency. Like every week he was going to have one play where he took someone off their feet and removed them from the frame. Yeah, And it was just, it was unbelievable to watch. Haven't seen as much of it this year, which kind of thought that might be the case because you get 50 pounds lighter. Not quite as much force moving at full speed. Yeah. But you know what? If it means he stays on the field and there's less highlight reel blocks, I'll take it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hey, what I hate is the, oh, it's so obviously should have been Tristan Wirfs. Like, okay, you can make an argument, like a yeah. case that you preferred Wirfs, fine. But, like, it was this landslide. Oh, my God. It's such an neat. Daniel Jeremiah had him going, I think, third overall to the mm-hmm. Giants at one point. Like yeah. that's how, and, and Jeremiah is probably the most respected guy out there. Yep. Um, if Daniel Jeremiah says he's good enough to go third overall, I'm certainly not complaining about getting him at 11. And if I'm watching what he did as a rookie, I'm not going to compare him to someone else who didn't get hurt. Um, I, it, yeah, he's again, I, I have a hard time saying hit cause he missed two full years, 
but I'm not I'm not mad at the pick one bit at all, and nor should anyone be. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be a tough a tough uh, off season for him because if he continues at the rate he's going, some team might offer him twenty twenty million dollars a year to be That's their starting left tackle. If a desperate team offers him money, the Jets could get a third rounder out of it's, that. It's kind of the Bryce Huff situation, but on offense for us because if we don't pay Bryce Huff, somebody's going to pay him for an extensive role. Not saying that that role is necessarily what he needs to flourish as a player. I think what we do is kind of the perfect balance for him but if somebody pays him 20 million to go be a, a full-time edge rusher for them yeah he might go do that instead of saying 12 million to stay in the role that he's in in new york and i think makai becton kind of slots into that same thing uh next guy um this is a miss obviously he requested a trade he sat on the bench for so many years yep. we've convinced ourselves over and over that he was going to break out at 17 different points in his career never yep. really happened had that one 40 yard catch on a whole shot that got us all inspired, and it really never flourished from there. But Denzel Mims is a, a miss, easy miss there. Yeah, huge miss, and hugely disappointing. I mean, had all the traits. There was some, there was buzz leading up yeah. to the draft. I remember he apparently had a fantastic week in Mobile, and people were saying this guy may have just propelled himself into the first round. Um, he ended up going, obviously, in the second round and just couldn't get it right and hasn't been able to anywhere else. So that's a that's a huge miss. That's, that's one of Douglas's biggest misses. Um, but you know, they happen. Ashton Davis went next at 68. Yep. Um, safety out of Cal. And I guess what I, I mean, it's not, not that it's anything to hang your hat on, um, for the GM, but I like the fact that I feel like this draft class was, was, was this close to having zero hits. And now it's like, well, Becton, you know, is kind of a hit like he's a starting left tackle now, yeah for sure even if you only get him for a couple years and maybe beyond that and if not maybe you're getting a third round or a fourth round or comp pick which is still not bad um davis now is a backup safety special teamer which is not exactly what you're looking for with the 68th overall pick but it's something he's become yeah. something of a contributor um and then a guy we'll get to in a little bit bryce hall um i feel like they've gone from being you know a hair away from having zero players on this on this from this class and now they've got three guys who i feel like can contribute in their roles which is uh a lot better than zero but but go ahead and uh i don't know what your thoughts were dylan we weren't doing the show then i know for me once when they went beckton mims davis i wasn't thrilled with the davis pick and uh, to be honest mm-hmm. i had watched zero safeties leading up yes. to that draft yeah because they still had jamal and may and may and, yep. I, and i thought if there's one thing they're not drafting it's a safety i'm not wasting because I didn't have as much time on my hands back then as I do now. Now I can watch a lot more. Back yeah. then I had to pick and choose what I could watch. I was Positions like, I'm not only, wasting my yeah. time on safeties because they're not drafting one. Yep. And then they draft one. So of course I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But then I read a couple tweets from some, you know, some people in the know, and they say, oh, this could play, you know, Ashton Davis can play corner too, which turned out to be a complete lie. But I was like, <laughs> all right, well that must be why they drafted him. If he can play corner, now I'm yeah. kind of on board with it. But then. They go Zuniga, P. Ryan, Morgan. And I was like, all all the excitement of how great this draft was going, in my mind, of course, thinking Mims is going to be a player, thinking they just got a versatile safety corner with their third pick. I'm like, what the hell is going on? You Three guys I wanted nothing to do with, all three of them, complete busts. Really, I mean, Zuniga, he got some reps a few years ago. He, this is, I was up late one night. And I went and watched every single one of his reps for that season. He was, he was so bad. 
He was so yeah. bad. It's um, it's like they they found a clone for Jakai Polite and managed to draft him again. I don't was, understand how they found the exact replica of him. Um, Ashton Davis, though, yeah, you said it. He has a role on this team. I said it in the pre-show. If I told you in the beginning of the season that Ashton Davis was going to have a bigger role on the team than Justin Hardy, people would probably look at me like I'm crazy because Justin Hardy is like our best special teamer. But Ashton Davis is the the personal protector for the punter. He has an important role too. Plus he plays big nickel, which isn't cornerback like the draft evaluator said, but yeah. it is big nickel and it's going up against guys in the slot where there's a ton of space to work with. So I, I, like you said, it's probably like an incomplete leaning a hit, but it is. It's been a small sample size this year, yeah. but I feel like he's been better. Like last yeah, absolutely. year, the last couple, because last year he hardly played. But the right. year before, like, it felt like a lot of bad angles, missed tackles. Like, you felt like oh, he yeah. was always making mistakes when he was out there. This year, again, not spectacular, but I feel like he's a little bit better. So I, you feel a little more comfortable when he's on the field. So, again, he goes from being a definite miss to, like, all right, it, at, at, at the worst, he's, like, an okay-ish hit. Like, right. again, not what you look for with the 68th pick. He's a bust in that sense. If we're just saying, did he meet what you would expect from the 68th pick? No, but he can still play. Um, and if, if he ends up being a guy who plays a few years as a, a backup safety who gets, you know, eight, 10 reps a game and plays good on specials, uh, it's, it's better. You know, it's, it's not a complete miss is, I guess is the point. Right. Like you said, you're bordering on three names out of a nine person draft class, which is 33%, which isn't great. But like right. you said, if, if a, if a hitter in baseball is hitting 33 or 333%, He's going to the Hall of Fame. So, like, it's you got to take it in different ways. Um, I just want to highlight a couple comments before we get to some of these guys, which we're going to kind of breeze through. Um, Bryce Huff is not going to want to be sign a long-term deal with his team. Huff is not even in the plans. He's going right to Pittsburgh, apparently. Um, I don't understand. Why, why are we so down? We lose a yeah. couple games and then <laughs> all of a sudden... Why are we assuming the Jets aren't going to give him a bunch of money to stay? Yeah, it's like we lose a couple games and everybody's like oh, fire everybody and hope that Rodgers just retires and we can start over a quarterback or like nobody wants to re-sign with this team. Like I just, I'm so confused how all of a sudden we we lose and we're just no longer a destination for players after we clearly see that we are a destination for players in free agency. People want to come here in the draft. They want to, they want to get coached by Robert Sala, another reason you don't get rid of this guy. So it's just kind of funny how everybody's so down on the dumps after a couple of losses. Um, getting back to it, you said it, Zuniga, uh, Pirine, Morgan, even Cam Clark, none of the next four guys are with the team from a player perspective. Obviously, Cam Clark is with the team. He's in the uh, personnel or player development side of it now. He was hired on as a staff member. He's yeah. been working with Makai Becton, which is really cool because they were obviously drafted in the same draft. So you like to see Cam Clark sticking around after his really scary neck injury that that was it was scary. They had to cancel practice. They shut it down. It was it was not a good time that summer. Um, but the guys before him, Zuniga, Piran, Morgan, actually, Michael Piran is in the league, just not with the Jets. He's on the uh, Chiefs. Chiefs and, practice squad, I think. Yeah, and 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 he actually had a couple good games of uh, of tape in the last like month and a half. So it's really funny that he's able to get on the field for for somebody. But everybody else kind of a bust. James Morgan and Zuniga like um, that brings us to Bryce Hall. Um, I just want to touch on Clark real quick. Clark, oh yeah, I sure. Thought, um, I mean, that's not that's not to me. That's just a, a you wipe that one off the slate. Like it's not a hit or a miss. 
Um, he was my favorite pick in this class. I wa- it yeah. was funny. I watched him, you know, since he went to Charlotte, small schools, hard to find film on these guys. Um, but luckily they played Clemson and I posted three or four clips from that game. He was, he was violent. Like he was body slamming guys, like legally not holding. Yeah. But I mean, he was burying dudes. And when he got drafted, I think that was the first thing Mel Kuyper said. He was like, turn on this kid Charlotte tape. And he's, you know, you'll see, or his Clemson tape. Um, and I thought he would be, a, a, you know, I thought he could become a starter. And I think, I think Kuyper said, you know, give him a year or two. This guy will be a starting guard. Um, real quick, uh, tales from the asphalt jockey. Uh, wanted to touch on a comment you made earlier. I don't know if you were here the whole time, but as Dylan and I said, um, you're saying setting the bar low to make Douglas look good. Um, we're we're discussing whether or not these guys are NFL players. Like, yeah, it's we're not in that place where everyone has to be a superstar to be considered a hit. Like, if you look and may, I don't know if you weren't tuned in early on, we um we broke down a, a, a an article that did a 20 year study of NFL players. And basically showed that fifty was it fifty three percent of them yeah. are garbage. Like they're out of the league, anywhere yeah. from never set on the set foot on the field to out of the league in a couple of years. That's fifty three percent of players. And then the next batch was like sixteen percent, and they're like bad, but they hang around. Yeah. And then you know up from there, and then like one percent is your elites. Um, so we're not setting the bar low. We're just we're just trying to realistically look at where everyone slots in compared to every other guy who ever gets drafted. Again, 57% of which are atrocious and out of the NFL. So if you have a guy like an Ashton Davis who's playing as a backup on defense and doing a good job on special teams, no, he's not going to the Pro Bowl, but that's still something that you need on your team. So that's a hit. Um, it's not a matter of, Let's see. Don't take what I'm saying. Is this no? Not at all. I I love conversations, and yeah, and we can disagree. I, di- disagreeing is fun, you know. Is and that nobody's making any personal attacks here. And even if people did that, I can take it. Like I I, I don't mind that stuff. Yeah, um, I hope you no, overcooked your turkey because you're making the, you're making I'm, these comments. Yeah, that, that's why I'm clarifying because <laughs> I didn't know if you caught us earlier. Um, I'm I'm saying that you know we're we're comparing them to the NFL, not just you know what we hope they would be when they were drafted. Um, and like I said to Dylan, I was shocked to see that number. I was shocked. I, I knew that good GMs hit on less than 50% of their picks. I yeah. didn't realize 57% were so, you know, bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, uh, just gone from the NFL in, in short order. So yeah, no, no hard feelings or anything like that. Tails. It's uh it's all good. Nope. Not at all. I don't, I don't think you, uh, I'm not going to like, wish you guys are going to have bad thanksgivings because you disagree with our takes here like it's it's an entire draft class of four seasons now like there's going to be disagreement there's always disagreement when it comes to draft glenn and i know that more than anybody that do podcasts i feel like our last two guys here from the 2020 class one is technically a hit although coming into the season i was very low on him and that's bryce hall i really thought that he should have been cut from uh the team and just Brennan Eccles and even a javelin Gidry type before he got hurt. Yep. I think that kind of saved Bryce Hall's job a little bit, but he has come in and played well enough. Yeah. He, he scored a touchdown for us and he got an interception. So, I mean, he has done a good job, um, a hit, but not and like a hit, like he's great, but yes, for what he was. Well, listen, for being pick. a fifth round pick, he's yep. kind of reemerged this year, right? Because we all remember everyone thought he would go earlier, but he had the ankle injury, the lower leg injury that hurt his draft stock. And then as a rookie, they bring him in. Um, he's hurt, but he plays. He starts seven games in the second half of the season. 
Then the following year, he starts all 17 games. And he wasn't great, but he was good where you look at him and think, okay, he can be maybe his ceiling was a future number two, probably a backup. Yeah. And then he all of a sudden just can't get on the field. And and the very, very small sample size that the very few times he does get on the field, he doesn't look that good. And you're like, wow, what happened to this guy? Like, I'm, nobody's saying he was Dion, but he went from being, a you know, a guy you could live with who could play some snaps for you to being a guy that you, a, a year and a half, two years later, you're like, I hope they cut this guy. And then all of a sudden he gets on the field this year for his first extensive action in a couple seasons, and he looked really good. You look, and it's like, oh, well, there's that guy who I thought could be a, a, a second string or, a, you know, again, spot starter, backup corner. So, again, if we're talking round five, and you have a corner who can play well in spots as a starter and back up. That's it. That's a big hit, man. That's and it's a critical position on top of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can never have enough depth at corner, you know, wide receiver, running back. So it's always important to get those guys, even if it is late dart swing, you know, dart throws in yep. like the day three range. And that's exactly what he was, even though his injury said he could have been a second rounder. Um, last pick, Braden Man, Eagles punter now. Um, had a good game. Uh, was it Monday night against the Chiefs? And every you know, I call, saw a couple of tweets saying, "Oh, of course now Braden Man's good. Give it time. He'll kick oh, did it he play well? I missed. That. I, he had a couple good kicks. Uh, I think they just downed a couple in like and in, in like deep in their own zone. But give it time. He'll shank one off the right side of his foot for well, twenty seven yards. Trevor Lawrence. He's the biggest bust on the list. It's yes. Thank you. That's, that's, that's all that. That's Trevor all Lawrence. that needs to be said. Is he is the reason that we don't have Trevor Lawrence see... essentially. We're going to get off topic here for a second because this would have been the greatest play in NFL history. Did you see the the near interception on the spike? Oh, Jalen Carter. Yeah, dude, wasn't that for a that rookie the best play ever? Second year guy. Yeah, that would have been the most ridiculous play ever. And even it looked like Patrick Mahomes stared at him a little bit, like, "Shit, do I have to like reevaluate how well, I'm supposed to spike the ball now?" I I I put a thread on Jet Nation. I I said this guy. I said, granted, very subtle, very tiny thing. But he just changed the NFL forever. Yeah, like quarterbacks can be still like throw it to the side to like the, the guard's butt. Yep, yep. Yeah, like get it. But Which did you waste an extra where, second? Did, if you, did you hear him say why he did it? No, I didn't. Th- that was the crazy thing. I and you know credit to him for admitting that he it wasn't his idea. He said he was watching YouTube and he saw a high school player do it and get the interception. Yep. And he was like, "Oh my god, I got to try that." Hell yeah, dude! If he would have picked that off. He would have changed. He might have changed the spike game like literally forever. It's still going to change. Think he because, he, yeah, yeah. Because if you throw it sideways, even you're wasting an extra second. You back up an extra yard. You're wasting an extra. How many times have the Jets? We saw a failed spike attempt. We saw a yeah. good spike attempt with one second. If yeah. you have to think an extra second, like you're losing those games or that opportunity. So crazy that 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 is what happened. Um, okay, but yeah, Braden Man is a miss. I believe loosely. I've been keeping track. I think that was. 11 hits, 11 misses, and seven incompletes. I think there's a couple that we didn't, you know, put into a category. But if you just took those numbers, 11 hits, 11 misses, and seven incompletes, that's a 37.9% hit rate, a 37.9% miss rate, and a 24.1% uh, incomplete rate. So, Joe Douglas is... the incompletes, I would imagine, are this year's class, right? We had five from this class alone. So, so you have this year's class. What's the hit rate? Then you have eleven hits, eleven misses, and only two incompletes. So your your rate is going way. You're high just on. under fifty percent, which is yeah. I was gonna say eleven over twenty four is forty five point eight percent hit, eleven point uh, forty five point eight percent hit and miss rate. So and we started by at, saying 
Even You're the at best 50%. DMs hit on just under 50%. Yeah, you said 53% were trash, and uh, I think Joe Douglas is doing a good job of making that come true. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Interesting. Uh, if, um, you know, if these rookies who we we think can be players then you're then you're over the 50 percent mark and you're you're yeah. topping that so um, yeah two guys on that list become you know hits instead of misses and it's you're over that 50 percent threshold for sure so i think uh i think we've kind of cracked the code on joe douglas um he deserves a couple more years he's got he's here till 2026 yeah so he's like, not going anywhere no and, and as, and as I beloved know, p says that's kind of where <laughs> i am he's a good gm who's made mistakes and that's yeah I, i've been saying it for years with him like Show me the show me the hits. Everyone loves talking about the misses, but everybody has misses. We know from John Idzik, from Mike McCagnan, some GMs get no hits. Like yeah. show, although I will say, um, check listen to this number. Um, while I was looking at it today, just out of curiosity, this season, um, Quinnen Williams, Chuma Adoga, Trevon Wesco, and Blake Cashman have combined to start over forty games. Wow! Like those dudes are in the league. Like, Blake Cashman had 19 tackles the other day. So. I was going to say, did you, did you see, like, as of a few the weeks ago, he was the number him? one rated linebacker on PFF. Yeah, until all the Jets guys took over. But, hey, you know, we, we, they don't want to talk about that. But, yes, but the thing Blake with Cashman, Cashman though, is, it was is, always the injuries. Yes, like, always. He, that was the thing. He had so many games in Minnesota. You know, he sneezed and he hurt a hamstring. 17 <laughs> tackles, 18 tackles. Like, yeah. he had a bunch of those. Yeah. I think he had a game against Wisconsin where he had, like, 22 tackles or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Cashman could always play. Um, yeah. he would just yeah, run down the field on special teams. Of course, and, what's that? And then he would always just run down on special teams and, and hurt his hamstring. That's all he yeah. did. <laughs> so, but yeah, that is a crazy stat that some of these McCagnan guys are still sticking around. And one is probably a top three. If well, that's almost the whole class because that's the one that's that's the Quinn and Williams class. Yeah, yeah. And and so I mean, Wesco, you know, is okay, but yeah, he's you know, he's crazy. a blocking tight end. Yep. Very interesting stuff. Hey, I gotta check now, though. Wait, when did, how many tackles did you things. say he had? I think he had nineteen. He total had fifteen. Tackles. Oh no, he 15. did. He had nineteen. Jesus, yeah. he had nineteen. Yeah, they're had... interviewing guys about it. Like I think it was Dylan Harris or Christian Harris, the Alabama linebacker who's on his team. They're asking him about it, and he was just going off about how absurd it was. But yeah, he had, he had fifteen against the Saints. Crazy. Yep, and ten against Tampa. If we in that that. Arizona game 13 solo if we didn't have the linebackers that we had this would be a, a big talking point for Jets fans we know that for sure yeah that it'd be tough to watch them play but you kind of don't care because you like the guys you have yeah exactly so yeah all right I mean, well that'll wrap this one up for us Jets fans thanks for for tuning in and hanging with us to uh to break down Joe Doug and yeah basically the verdict is right now Joe Douglas he's right around that range that that the good GMs are at just under 50 percent and uh, and a rookie class where if if we're right and this, you know I think those top four guys can be at the very worst I think Carter Warren would be a backup and then uh, Tipman McDonald's going to be an elite player Tipman's going to be a high end player and Abanacanda can be a a game changing running back I said the other day like what is a starting running back anymore like everybody yeah. splits carries you know um, yeah that's nobody gets twenty five thirty carries. No. So Joe Douglas right there in the range that most GMs are, except he's got some young all pros and pro bowlers, and those are hard to come by. Absolutely. All right, yep. New episode of One Jets Drive just dropped. I'm about to go watch that as I heat up some dinner, and uh, I hope all Jets fans have a happy Thanksgiving. 
we'll catch you next week. And thank you for, for tuning in. Let's go Jets. Oh, Dolphins, we're predicting a loss. We're predicting a loss. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're not even going to give know. scores. Predicting a loss. Tim Boyle, 20, just be a quarterback. 24-9. No, you know, I'm going to say they score a touchdown. 24-13. Let's go. I'm all right. I'll, one, a, Jets fans. I'll just say I'll give a score. I'll, I'll go. I'll go thirty-two to fourteen. I'm I'm nervous, but let's go, Tim Boyle. Have a good all one, right. Jets and fans. Yes, happy Thanksgiving to uh to everybody. Have a good one. Yep.